Our Father and our God, we are grateful for the privilege and the honor that we have to gather as your people today from here to hear from you. We pray, Lord, that as we sit here today that we may clear our hearts and our minds of all of the concerns of everyday life and focus on what you would have to say to us in order that we may govern our lives according to your will and your purpose that you might be glorified. For we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Yesterday made three months and about two weeks uh, since my wife and three other ladies were driving home from prayer meeting here at Calvary Saturday morning and uh, they were involved in an accident in a high-speed police chase. The police wasn't chasing them. Uh, there was a young man who for whatever reason had done something and felt that he needed to evade the police. And uh, my wife had just dropping off, dropped off one of the sisters and uh, uh, she was on the way <coughs> to take the other two. And this young man <coughs> uh, hit the car and uh, practically destroyed the door on the driver's side. And uh, according to eyewitnesses, the police had the fire shots to stop him. And they finally caught him. And uh, <clears throat> fortunately, no one was hurt in the accident. Unfortunately, he had insurance. And, um, but uh, when the insurance company called him, he wouldn't go in. And um, it took about two, three weeks before he responded. Uh, they threatened that they'd probably call the police to get him in. Uh, but he finally went in. And when he went in, he disputed the events of the accident, so there was a further delay. He didn't agree with the way things happened. And uh, after about another few months, uh, the insurance company called my wife and told her that um, she could come and collect a check to fix her vehicle. Well, you can imagine during that whole process of time, we were hoping we were hoping and praying, but mostly hoping that everything would work out. What would life be without hope? Yesterday, my wife was finally able to get her vehicle from the repair shop fully repaired. Minor glitch, I had to take it back, but it's been fully repaired. It doesn't matter whether it's on the battlefield, at the sick bed of a loved one or friends, no words in the English language are more devastating than these words. There is no hope. Or it's hopeless. Webster defines hope as a desire accompanied by expectation of an or of or belief in fulfillment. Another English poet and the words that many of us are quite familiar with today. Hope springs eternal in the human breast. Today we want to consider how, how the hope we have as Christians differs from the hope of those who do not have a relationship with the triune God. Those who are depending on false hope throughout their lives. 
What does a hopeful person look like? What does a hopeful person do? Well, a hopeful person is also referred to as an optimistic person or what we might call an optimist. So such a person does the following. Set up all, not some, but all the folding chairs for Wednesday night Bible study. A hopeful person will do that. They don't think about how many people will show up. They set up all the chairs. That's a hopeful person. That's an action of a hopeful person. A hopeful person makes plans to meet his wife at 8.45 after an 8 o'clock board meeting. That's a lot of hope. A hopeful person puts her shoes on, back on, when the minister says, in conclusion. That's what a hopeful person looks like. That's what, that, that, those are the things that, that hopeful people do. Of all the people living on planet Earth today, Christians are the only people who have what we might call a genuine hope or a real hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Paul says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. For the Christian, the, scripture, the scriptures prove to be an invaluable teacher for, the, for those of us who are willing to learn from it. An invaluable teacher because it conveys comfort and it teaches us how to be unwavering when we run into difficulties and face struggles and, and problems and, and find ourselves in some unique predicaments. So instead of sinking under the waves of despair, the hope that the Lord will see us through is really what sustains a person who has genuine hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. In this gracious benediction, Paul prays that the God who gives good hope, not false hope, but the God who gives good hope through grace will completely fill the saints with joy and peace as they place their trust in him. And it's absolutely true that those who overflow in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit have no time to squabble over the non-essentials. You see, in the Christian life, our common hope is more of a powerful uniting force than a dividing distraction. But there's also a connection between hope and faith. Because faith is the ground of our hope. And hope is the object of our faith. We are reminded of that passage in Hebrews that mentions hope. Faith is the confidence that the hope, that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives assurance about things we cannot see. That's what hope is all about. Dr. James Moffat, 
translates Hebrew 11 one this way. He says, now faith means we are confident about what we hope for, convinced of what we do not see. But then we also reminded that hope is one of three things that are forever. One of three things that will be around for time and eternity. One of three things that will last forever. First Corinthians 13, 13 says, there are three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And of course, the greatest of these is love. But of course, in there you have faith. One of three things that will last forever. What makes the believer's hope so unique is that it is a hope, first of all, of salvation. A hope of salvation. What would the Christian life be without a hope of salvation? Romans 8.24. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. Verse 25. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Since all of the benefits of our salvation are not received at the moment of conversion, we hope. We hope. We only hope for what is in the future. We hope for what God has in store for those who have committed their lives to him. But not only do we have a hope of salvation that makes our hope so unique, but we also have a hope laid up in heaven. Colossians 1.4 For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people which come from your confident hope not a wishy-washy hope not an uncertain hope but your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. See, in addition to applauding them for their faith and love, Paul also applauded the Colossian Christians for their hope as they looked forward to heaven. Only those who have made a commitment to Jesus Christ can look forward to heaven. I talked to a Roman Catholic the other day and asked him if he knew he was going to heaven. He said, I hope so. I wonder what kind of hope is that? We have hope that is laid up in heaven for us because we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's how hope is defined in the scriptures. But then thirdly, we also have a hope of a resurrection from the dead. Acts chapter 23, verse 6. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees, so he shouted, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors. And I am on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. If you are persecuted for your Christian faith, can you say the same thing that Paul says? Paul says, I'm being persecuted because of my hope in the resurrection from the dead. There are people today who are hoping, who are hoping in a resurrection from the dead. I trust that you are one of them. But not only that, we also have a hope of the gospel. 
Colossians 1.23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Paul urged the Colossians. He urged them. He stressed how important it was for them not to allow anything to move them away from the hope that complements the gospel of Jesus Christ. I trust that you can say that with Paul today. But not only do we have a hope of the gospel and hope of the resurrection, but we also have a, the hope of his calling. Ephesians 1.18. Paul says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope. You notice how that word confident and good is always added to hope? Because you see, our hope is different from the hope that other people in this world have. So again, Paul says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with the light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. What we hope for lacks any and all doubts because it is that characteristic of our salvation which is still in the future and to which we look forward to receiving when we see our blessed Lord and Savior one day. When we meet him in that place that is promised for us. But then Ephesians 4.4 4 says, For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. If you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior today, you have a glorious hope for the future. Not many people have that. Many people are hoping that they make it to the next day. Many people are hoping that they get there. But only the believer can be certain of a glorious hope for the future. What does this, what does the one glorious hope, what does one hope include? It includes everything that awaits the saints at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and beyond that. Now we don't know what's beyond that, but we can be absolutely certain that it's all that God intended to be good for us. But I want you to consider also the hopeful outlook before those who respond to the call of Christ in the gospel. They have a hope, the Bible says, that is wonderful, or a hope that is good. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. See how different our hope is from that of those of the world? Because God settled the sin question at Calvary, we have an eternal comfort now and the hope of a gloriously wonderful future to look forward to. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior, I hope we've made you jealous so far. I hope so. But not only do we have a hope that's wonderful, we also have a hope that is blessed. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope 
and the appearing of our great, uh, appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you can't look forward to that. Even though we live as strangers in an alien world, we are encouraged by a magnificent hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. You know this world is getting much worse every day. And there are believers who are saying more often now than before, even so come Lord Jesus. When we look at what's happening in our world today, we heard in the news just this week that the federal government is threatening to withhold federal funds from all the school districts across the United States if they do not comply with the transgender use of restrooms. And you thought it couldn't get any worse. This world we're living in is getting worse every day. But for the believer, we have a hope that is blessed. We have a hope that is wonderful or good, but we have also have a hope that is living. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a, what kind of hope? What kind of hope? A living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. You know there are persons who have trusted in an individual and that individual died, and they have a tomb somewhere? Well, that's not a living hope. They can't look forward to that person coming back. That person is dead. Whenever they come back, they're coming back to face the judgment of God. But for the believer, we are looking forward to a living hope because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Since eternal life starts when we trust Christ and join God's family, our hope is for improving life right now, not just for the future expectations. See, as we live our lives today and face whatever difficulties may come, God will help us stay true to our faith. That's what this living hope is all about. But not only is our hope unique because it's a living hope, but because it's a, it's a glorious hope. Colossians 1.27 to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the believer's hope of glory? It is the indwelling Christ. The fact that he indwells us makes heaven as sure as if we were already there. It cannot be any more hopeful than that. And so our hope, the hope that we have, is a glorious hope. It's a living hope. But it's also a strong hope. Hebrews 6.19, this hope is strong, the Bible says. Not only is it strong, but it's also trustworthy. It's stable and it's firm, it's a force. Because he says in Hebrews 6.19, not only is this hope strong, it's also trustworthy. It's a strong and trustworthy anchor for the souls. So it's strong, it's trustworthy, and it's an anchor for the soul. 
Hope accomplishes for the soul the same thing which an anchor does for a ship. It makes that ship fast and secure, unmovable. Even among the pagan writers, hope is often compared with an anchor. Socrates once said, and I quote, to ground hope on a false supposition is like trusting to a weak anchor, end of quote. And then someone else said, a ship ought not trust to one anchor, nor life to one hope, both sure and steadfast, firm and secure. And so we have, a, we have a blessed hope. We have a good hope, a wonderful hope, a blessed hope, a living hope, a glorious hope, a strong hope, a trustworthy hope. A hope that is anchor to the soul. But the question is, why do we hope? Why do we hope? Because we have a God of hope. Again, Romans 13, 15, 13 reminds us and reinforces in our hearts and minds. Paul says, I pray that, the, that God, the source of hope. You see, many people today have a source of hope, but that source of hope is not God. There are people whose source of hope is the web shop. There are some people whose source of hope is the, is the lottery. Some people, their source of hope is in material possessions, or perhaps in their career, or perhaps in another individual. But for the believer, God is the source of our hope. And so Paul says, I pray that, the, that, that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely, not partially, but completely with joy and peace. Who doesn't want joy and peace today in all its fullness? When we look at what, what the world is presenting to us. Fill you with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only is our common hope a powerful uniting force, but because we abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, we live in harmony today with God's people in the midst of all the chaos that is wreaking havoc all around us. But we hope also because the triune God who cannot lie promised what we are looking forward to. Titus 1-2 in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. There are many people who are distraught and upset today because some people made some promises to them that they could not fulfill. But for the child of God, we can look forward to the hope that we have because the one who promised it can't lie. Because God is truth. He is the source of all truth. Being the personification of truth, the embodiment of truth, he cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. That's what the verse is telling us. But also, not only did God promise it, but God went a step further that he didn't really have to go to. He confirmed it by an oath. Now let's go in the extra mile. Let's add in what you really don't need. But God Confirmed it by an oath. Hebrews 6, 17, 18. Notice what he says. God also bound himself with an oath. 
so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Verse 18. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Isn't that fantastic? God wanted us to be so absolutely sure of the promise that he added what he didn't need to have because of who he is. Because of who God is, the personification of truth. He didn't need to add this oath. But he knows how we think sometimes. You know, the four referendum bills are going to be debated on and people are saying, boy, I don't trust them. I don't trust that particular bill because that don't sound right to me. That's the way people think. And so God, knowing how people think, God says, you know, I'm not going to just give you a promise, but I'm going I'm to give you a, I'm going to give an oath as well. And because they are unchangeable, they're, they're, both the promise and the oath is unchangeable because God cannot lie. As if his promise is not good enough to give an absolute guarantee that what he promised believers would become a reality, God added an oath to his promise. When was the last time somebody added an oath to that promise that they gave you? Only God can do that. But then we also note that it is given through the grace, through God's grace. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 Now may the Lord, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and there it is again, a wonderful hope. God's gracious provision in the past is mentioned as an encouragement to trust him for the future courage and strength that we need in our world today. But it all became a reality. This is all possible because of Jesus. You see, Jesus is our hope. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. So you see where this hope comes from? It comes from Jesus Christ himself. So it is absolutely, totally reliable. The only hope we have as Christians of ever getting to heaven is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else. Nothing to be added to it. In fact, everything in the Bible forecasts for us are only ours because of our connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. Without that connection, none of it would be a reality for us one day. But also, not only because of Jesus, but because of his resurrection, we also hope for a resurrection. 1 Peter 1.3, again, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, there was a time for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior today, there was a time when we were helpless sinners. We were without hope beyond the grave. The only certainty ahead of us was God's judgment and his burning, wrathful anger. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed our future by becoming the righteous basis of our salvation and the foundation of our living hope. That's who we have. But the question is, who can really have this hope? Again, we reiterate, only those who are in Christ can have this kind of hope that the Bible speaks about today in the passages that we have already read. Only those who are in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Isn't that something to look forward to? All those loved ones that have gone on, who died in Christ. Yes, we grieve, because that's a part of the process of mourning. Jesus grieved and wept when Lazarus died. It's a normal process. But unlike those who have a loved one who's died and they didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have a hope that we will see our loved ones again because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so the day is coming when God will do a number of things. One, he will turn disaster into victory. He will turn poverty into treasures or riches. He will turn pain to glory and defeat to triumph. All believers throughout history will stand safe and secure, united in the very presence of God. Isn't that a day that is worth looking forward to? We too should comfort and encourage each other with the same great hope that Paul used to comfort the Thessalonian believers with the promise of the resurrection. And that's why it is so important for us today to be mindful of the significance of this hope that we have. Who can have this hope? Out of him there is no hope. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. That's our past. That's how we used to live. But that's how some people are living today. And perhaps some of them are relatives of yours. Perhaps some of them are family of yours. It is incumbent upon us today who have relatives who are not lost to tell them about this living hope that we have so that they too can look forward to a resurrection from the dead 
and to reside with the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the countless ages of eternity. Without knowing the one and only true God, people today are godless in a godless world filled with hostility. Nothing to look forward to. But then we know that only those who are in Christ can have this hope. Only those who Christ are in can have this hope. Colossians 1.27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The indwelling Christ is the believer's hope of glory. But then only those who are born again, to make it even more clearer, only those who are born again can have this hope. Again, Peter says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy has caused us. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The source of this, re the source of this salvation is God. Its cause is God's great mercy. Its nature is is the new birth. Our present reward is a living hope. But then we need to be mindful today that those who have this hope must behave in a certain way. They must act in a certain way. There are some things that, that they must have. There are some things that they must do. And one of those things is that they, may, they must purify themselves. 1 John 3, 3. Anyone who has this hope, anyone, or it says, and anyone who has this hope fixed on him, that is fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, purify him, purifies himself just as he, that is Christ, is pure. Christians for a long, long time, I believe that the hope of the imminent return of Christ provides a sanctifying effect in the believer's life. And that is true, absolutely true. The fact that Jesus Christ could come at any moment within the next minute or two is a sanctifying influence for us to live in a way that when Jesus returns, he will not catch us doing some things that God is not pleased with. The imminent return of Christ is a sanctifying has a sanctifying effect, or it should, on the believer's life. It serves as a caution about the kind of activities the believer will be engaged in at the actual return of Christ. Think about that for a moment. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus could come at any moment, think of how that will affect the things that you do, the activities that you engage in, perhaps even the language you use. It will have an astounding effect on our lives because we don't want Jesus to come and catch us doing some things that we shouldn't be doing. And so it serves as a caution. Since since Jesus is pure, he never had to purify himself. 
But for the believer, for you and I, this purity is an ongoing process until Jesus returns. As long as we reside on planet Earth, this process of purity must be an integral part of our daily lives and existence. But not only must we purify ourselves if we have this hope, but we must also rejoice in their hope. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in our confident hope. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. Regardless of what we in, what our current circumstances or situations may be, we can and should rejoice in our hope because of two things. One, the coming of our Savior. And two, the redemption of our bodies, or three things, and thirdly, our eternal glory. We should rejoice because of those three things. But then not only must we, re we rejoice in our hope and purify ourselves if we have this hope, but we must also remain firm, remain steadfast. Again, Hebrews 6, 18 and 19. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Verse 19. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. So two things the believer must fully rely on that will never change. God's word and God's oath. They will never change. It's difficult to think that anything that could be more safe or certain First, God promised to save everyone who believes in Christ. He promises. Anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And secondly, he confirms it with an oath. This means that the believer is eternally secure. Eternally secure. And then Romans 5, 3 to 5. Paul says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And verse 4, an endurance develops strength and character. And character strengthens our what? Confident hope of salvation. And this hope, he says, will not lead to disappointment. How many people of you know, do you know, have heard of, who had a hope in something and it led to disappointment? I'm sure we can think of someone. But Paul says here, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. One of the pleasant ironies of the Christian faith is how joy and conflict and difficulty coexist. How joy and affliction can live together. 
And that's the uniqueness of our life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are called to that part and parcel. What would a Christian life be without trials and difficulties for God to prove who he is and what he's capable of doing? But then also, those who have this hope must not only remain firm, but we must also wait. We must also wait. Galatians 5, 5. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait. If the Spirit of God is guiding your life, then you'll know how to wait. You know, we have some real impatient people in our world, and unfortunately, some of them are Christians. We don't like to wait. You put something in a microwave oven and it can't finish fast enough. You go to the traffic light and you don't want to stop. We do not know how to wait. The Apostle Paul points out how the hope of the true believer is vastly different from that of others. We demonstrate who we are and the kind of relationship we have with who we, who we know by our ability to wait. While all the hellish agendas unfold all around us, the Christian waits for the hope of righteousness. And believe me, it's going to get worse before it gets better. So we've got to learn what it means to wait, to wait on the Lord. And so those who have this hope in them knows how to wait. But also, not only those who have this hope must know how to wait, but we also must be righteous. To receive, verse 5, Galatians 5, 5 goes on, to receive by faith righteousness God has promised to us. We wait for the moment when we will be completely righteous in and of ourselves. When we stand in the very presence of God and experience what it is to be truly righteous in the presence of God as God would have us to be. But also, not only those who have this hope must be righteous and know how to wait, but we must also have boldness to speak. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Everything about the gospel is clear and open. On subjects like salvation and heaven and hell and the Trinity, the gospel communicates with clarity and absolutely full assurance. And so there's no reason why, as believers, we should be timid when it comes to being bold and speaking about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have this hope should be able to be bold in speaking about salvation and what God promised to those who receive it. But then also, not only we are to be bold, but we are to be ready to explain why we have this hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. You've got to have a genuine hope to be able to explain it. Do you have it? 
Are you able to explain the Christian hope that you have? Many people would like to know. While the context of this verse is persecution for the Christian faith, this verse is also applicable in everyday life. It's applicable now in our goings and comings and everything that we do and we count in this life. The question that should constantly be on the minds of every Christian today is, can others see my hope? Can others see the hope that I have in Christ? We must always be ready to explain it. The question is, are you ready to explain the hope that you have in Christ Jesus? There are a lot of people out there who are following all sorts of things that they have placed their hope in. And all of them will lead them to a dead end. All of, it, all, of the, all of it will lead them along the broad road that leads to destruction. Only the believer, only the genuine child of God has a true hope. I'll be ready to explain it. In conclusion, you can put on your shoes now if you got it all. We must live faithfully in Jesus Christ because God has given the hope of eternal life. The key there is faithfully in Jesus Christ. And secondly, we must never, ever give up hope. There is a tendency for believers to sometimes lose hope when things get really tough and rough. But we must never, ever give up hope. And then thirdly, we must always be ready to share our hope of eternal life. The question is, are you willing and ready to do those three things? To demonstrate that, you, that the hope you have is a genuine hope and is different from all the hope that other people are, are trusting in that will really lead to great disappointment. Remember the Bible says, those of us who have this hope will never be disappointed. Amen? Father, we thank you that we have a glorious hope. We have a living hope. We have a good hope. We have a confident hope. We have a wonderful hope. We have a hope that is sure and steadfast. That is an anchor for our souls. We pray, O oh Lord, that we may demonstrate that we have this hope by the way we live our lives day in and day out. That others who see our lives would desire to have the hope that we have. And look forward to an eternity with our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is our prayer. This is our humble plea. And we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.